This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, Weekend Warriors of Michigan Politics and Government. A lot going on this week, but I want to talk about something slightly different. Cancel culture. It has claimed another victim. Where do we go to get our good name back? That's what the family of Michigan Steve Nesbitt want to know. Nisbet himself is long gone, so he won't have an opportunity to defend himself against accusations that have tarnished his legacy and besmirched the reputation of his descendants. Who was Stephen S. Nesbitt? Nisbet was a vice president at Gerber Baby Foods in Fremont in Nuego County. As a former public school teacher, principal, and school superintendent, Nisbet had served on the State Board of Education from 1943 to 1961. Then, in 1961, Nisbet was elected as a delegate to the 144-member Michigan Constitutional Convention. And it was Steve Nesbitt who was elected to serve as CONCON's president. The 1961-62 CONCON produced for its time what was regarded as one of the most modern state constitutions in the nation. One of the innovations in the proposed Constitution was the creation for the first time in any state of a civil rights commission to investigate alleged discrimination against any person because of religion, race, color, or national origin. The voters of Michigan adopted the convention's proposed Constitution in March 1963. Michigan has operated under that Constitution as amended ever since. In that same year, 1963, Stephen Nesbitt was elected to the Board of Trustees for Michigan State University. He served until 1970. One of his signal accomplishments on the board was his vote on selecting a new MSU president. Legendary MSU President John Hanna retired in 1969. And on October 17th of that year, Nisbet cast the deciding vote for Clifton R. Wharton, Jr., Ph.D., to be the new MSU president succeeding Hannah. The vote was 5-3. to Wharton was the first African-American to be selected as president of a major U.S. university in the entire country. In 1974... MSU named the Nisbet Building, located at 1407 South Harrison Street in East Lansing, in his honor. Nisbet died in 1986 at the age of 91. But now Nisbet apparently has fallen from grace. It started 28 years ago in 1992, six years after Nisbet's death. Auction workers searching an old farmhouse attic in Nuego County discovered three trunks containing records and Ku Klux Klan artifacts from the 1920s. One of the trunks held records containing the names of 679 dues-paying members of the Nuego County Clan Number 29 of the Invisible Empire of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. 
Flash forward to 2011, when the MSU Press published a book by a man named Craig Fox titled Everyday Clans Folk, White Protestant Life and the KKK in 1920s Michigan. Fox writes that the KKK was not the extremist group in Michigan as the Klan was after the Civil War or later in the 1960s in the South. Klan members in the 1920s in Michigan, according to Fox, were in many ways more akin to other fraternal organizations of the time, like the Odd Fellows and the Elks. The Klan served as the social outlet in rural Michigan. The Klan helped bolster their ranks by a marketing campaign of one member recommending others. Targeting community establishment figures for membership was common, including local public officials, newspapermen, and citizens active in church and school. According to Fox, Klan members in Michigan did not wear masks or hoods, but even though the Nuevo Klan had supposedly one of the highest per capita membership rosters in the entire country, it quickly faded into oblivion after about two years. But now here's the bombshell. The records list a Stephen S. Nisbet, age 29, superintendent of Fremont Schools, living at 233 Dayton Street, paying a $10 membership fee. Today, Stephen P. Nesbitt, the original Steve Nesbitt's 70-year-old grandson, said his grandfather's first name was spelled wrong and that he lived at the time at a different address, 332 Main Street in Fremont. Nisbet said there was no signature on the record. No one in his family knew of any Klan membership held by his grandfather. Grandson Nisbet pleaded with the MSU Board of Trustees, but to no avail, to table a motion to remove his grandfather's name from the MSU building until a professional historian could complete an investigation and verify key facts. No matter the MSU board made the decision that Nesbitt's association with MSU had to end, period. Nesbitt's alma mater, a private institution, as we know, some 45 miles north of MSU, called Alma College, made a similar decision. Not only was Nesbitt an Alma alumnus, but he had served many decades on its governing board. Nisbet's name was removed last week from an Alma College Residence Hall name for him. So let's consider the parallels between the Nisbet cancel culture at MSU and, for that matter, at Alma, and an important period in U.S. history some seven decades ago. The entire Nisbet episode evokes memories of the communist witch hunt era, of the 1940s and 50s, led by the House Un-American Activities Committee, and slightly later, a U.S. Senate panel's hearings led by U.S. Senator Joe McCarthy of Wisconsin, known as the Army McCarthy Hearings. The HUAC McCarthy Hearings resulted in numerous screenwriters and, for that matter, accused communists being purged and placed on blacklists and being smeared and vilified. Everyone is familiar with the infamous question, are you now 
or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Those hearings left damaged lives in their wake and today are considered a national disgrace. But now these witch hunts have come to Michigan and there are not even hearings anymore. Fox, in his book, reports the Nuevo KKK held fireworks and community picnics, but did the Nuevo Clan number 29 ever burn a cross? Craig Fox says yes, but was Nisbet present or even know about it? Who knows? Fox does not report any attacks on blacks or Jews. There weren't any on the streets of Fremont. Stephen Nisbet may have bought a $10 membership or not, but it was for just a brief time early in a long life. The late U.S. Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia and Alabama's Hugo Black, also a U.S. Senator, later a U.S. Supreme Court Justice, were also both Klansmen. But neither had their names stripped from buildings, monuments, or plaques in their native state. The Nesbits were not so lucky. MSU's attempt at political correctness has sullied the reputation of a distinguished Michigan public servant. His family did not deserve this public humiliation. The vote by the MSU board and by Alma College can be explained only as a rush to judgment by panically public officials to the discredit of the board and to President Samuel Stanley, who came to Michigan less than two years ago from New York and knows little of this state's history or Nisbet's role in it. That's all for this segment, but I'll be back in a minute with a guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we're very fortunate to have with us uh, one of the two nominees of the Republican Party for the Michigan Supreme Court. Now, I mentioned Republican, but this is going to be a nonpartisan race. It's a judgeship, the top judgeship in the state, a member of the seven-member Supreme Court. She is Mary Kelly, and she is an assistant prosecuting attorney in St. Clair County. Mary Kelly, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I'm just delighted to be here this morning. We're thrilled to have you, and uh, I just want to start out by asking you, what do you do uh, in the short space of two months to get out there and connect with Michigan voters, uh, over 7 million potential voters in Michigan, when you've never run statewide before? How are you proceeding? Well, I guess you know my story, and I'm doing the best I can do, Bill. Um, these are very challenging times, and what's really interesting is it's really, you know, partially doing some old-fashioned techniques and then doing some very modern techniques. I'm doing from the basic cold call to people's, you know, homes, cell phones, whatever numbers, and trying to, I can reach them through and introducing myself. I'm emailing, and you know, brief introductions with attachments. Uh, giving information about myself, and then the more uh, current technology, I'm Zooming or, you know, doing those type of introductions to groups. And so it's been a different experience, but we're all operating under the same constraints. And so I am being as positive as I can be and just get up every day and move forward. 
Well, I noticed that you've uh, gotten a raft of endorsements from prosecuting attorneys around the state, bipartisan. You've even got some Democrats uh, endorsing you. Tell me about that. Well, Bill, after having been a prosecutor, assistant prosecutor for 30 years, I um, did retire just to pursue some other um, activities. But, it, you know, I have tried every type of case you can imagine, and in front of every type of judge, every type of jury, I truly understand the devastation that crime has on victims, families, children, and businesses. And, you know, anybody that's been a prosecutor for as many years as I have or close to, they understand the challenges and what this really means for the people of the state of Michigan, having an advocate out there for them. And, you know, that's, I believe the other prosecutors are embracing me because this is what our goal is, what we do. Yeah, you know, this is a very uh, confusing race for the voters, I think, because they may not understand that all of you candidates, and I, there are two nominated by the Republican Party, you and your colleague Brock Wurzel, who is a judge on the State Court of Appeals. We had him on as a guest last week. And there are two Democrats, including the Chief Justice, Bridget Mary McCormick, and another Democratic nominee. And then there are two, I believe, I may be wrong about this, but maybe two Libertarians and then maybe a Green Party nominee. I think there are like seven of them all together. Correct. Aren't there? Yes. And then what you have to do is you just have to finish second. You don't even have to lead the pack. It's not like you have to beat six other opponents. You could just be either first or second, either one, and you will be elected to the Supreme Court, correct? That's correct. So, I mean, are you running with Brock Swartzel at all as a team? Do you do any activities with him? Are you going to have any personal appearances anywhere? Are you going to be, you know, have any chance for endorsements by editorial boards? How is that going? Are there going to be any debates? Well, that has not all been decided, but I have seen, you know, met up with Brock at various uh, outdoor functions and, um, you know, we're definitely agreeing to work together to the best of our abilities. And, you know, as you um, mentioned earlier with COVID, uh, you know, it's much more difficult to be out campaigning and fundraising. And both of us are still determining what our budgets are. We've had some discussions about um, hearing some advertising. So we just really need to both nail down what our budgets are and then go from there. When I look at the Supreme Court right now, is there anybody else there uh, on the court who has your background in prosecutorial uh, law enforcement? Uh, I know David Viviano is from Macomb County. Uh, I don't know what his background is. Is there anybody else on the court you can point to that has that kind of background? And if not, is that something you would bring to the court, you think, that is maybe missing in what's on that court now? Well, Bill, I'm glad you asked me that question. The only other justice that has that is Justice Markman, and unfortunately, he will be stepping down and retiring. And I that's one of the reasons I'm running. I want to bring that voice to the court. You know, for 35 years, I've practiced law. I've been in the trenches, in the court. I've had to abide by the rules of evidence, court rules, and I've had to, in proving my cases, uh, line up the facts to the law. And I have that experience, and I believe it is critical experience. 
it's wonderful that every justice, you know, comes from a different uh, professional background. But the voice needs to the voice of the courtroom needs to be there. Over in St. Clair County, are you a native of that area? What What is your background there? And I think isn't your husband a judge? I I was born in Wayne County. I grew up in Gross Point Woods, and I have lived in the Port Huron area for the last almost thirty six years. So, in yes, my husband is a circuit court judge in St. Clair County. Well, hey, he can give you some tips on how to conduct yourself on the bench, right? I guess he can. <laughs> and he's been a fine uh, judge from what everybody has told me. I've never had the honor of practicing law in this court, as you can imagine. But, you know, my husband has a wonderful temperament, and I know that that is really critical to being a good jurist. Have you had any interaction with legislators over there in the Port Huron area over the years? Do you have any perspective on relations between, let's say, the legislature and the court system in Michigan or between the legislature and judgeship? Do you think that judges are amply paid? That is always a problem. Um, I think over the years, uh, judicial salaries and support for the court system by the legislature. Well, you know, that's a tough question to answer in this climate when so many people have been financially affected, you know, by COVID and many people are out of work. I really don't want to be, you know, of a position right now that pay raises should be put into place. Um, I just hope that, you know, the salaries, you know, that the legislature uh, does do agree upon for uh, the judiciary are sufficient to keep good candidates coming forward. Yeah, one big case that's before the Supreme Court right now, as you probably know, is the question of whether uh, Governor Whitmer has uh, unfairly taken advantage of a 75-year-old Michigan law called the Emergency Powers for Governor Act um, and whether she ought to be protected. You know, honestly... We don't have time for you to answer that question because we're out of time. But that is one of the hot potatoes that the court is going to have to decide on. And that's the kind of stuff that you're going to get. But that's why you're running. You want the challenge, right? I can handle it. (laughs) I bet you can. Listen, thank you so much, Mary Kelly who is a nominee for the Michigan Supreme Court by the Republican Party, running with Brock Swartzel. Uh, November 3rd, folks, don't forget the judicial portion of the ballot. We'll be back in a minute with another guest. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back, and we've got another candidate, a guest, Don Gates, who is one of the two Republican nominees for the Wayne State University Board of Governors. Don Gates, thanks for being our guest on The Political Insider. Well, thank you for inviting me, Bill. Okay, Don, I just want to ask you, can you give your background? Aren't you in IT uh, for a long time, executive in that field? Uh, yes, I am. So uh, I moved to Michigan in 1991 to work for a guy by the name of Ross Perot. So oh. I came here to work for uh, for EDS, and and I never left. But uh, started with with um, EDS for several years, uh, moved to Pro Systems, and then eventually moved to IBM, where I had a career with IBM for 18 years. 
selling uh, uh, leading accounts, uh, working on the channels piece for IBM within uh, you know, the IT industry. Well, also, don't you have some kind of a military background? Uh, that is correct, Bill. Uh, even when I moved here in 91, I was uh, had already been commissioned a second lieutenant in the Army. So I joined the Army Reserve here and uh, spent 38 years in the Army Reserve. And I retired this last June as a full colonel in the Army Reserve uh, in the, the Civil Affairs branch. And I uh, completed uh, three combat tours, one to Iraq in 2004, went to the Horn of Africa in 2008-9, and then Afghanistan in 2011-12. and 12. Impressive. Now, do you hold a degree from Wayne State University? Uh, yes, I do. I have uh, 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 an MBA, so I received my MBA from Wayne State University in 1997. So, you know, like I said, I uh, went to work for EDF and, uh, you know, getting up in the morning. So at, at that stage of my life, I used to be an early riser. But once I went through with my uh, MBA program at Wayne State, you know, and folks that take uh, college school at night end up studying from usually after they get off work till midnight. So uh, after my degree in 1997, studying for it, uh, I became a night owl, right? So, so kind of a funny <laughs> funny thing that, but, you know, th- that's what happens, and that's what Wayne State is, right? I mean, we a right. lot of the students that go to there, um, you know, take night courses or courses because they are business folks working in the industry, right? So, uh, um, so that's kind of a, a funny sidebar. So thank you. Were you interested for a long time in running for the Wayne State Board? I mean, how did you happen to run this year? You know, I, I was not interested. However, I can tell you I did get involved in politics in Oakland County. Republicans, a good friend of mine, Rocky Ruskowski, um, who was in the Army Reserve with me, invited me over to his house one afternoon and said, hey, Don, why don't you come over? We have some people coming over. Well, when I got there, uh, it was a, it was a literature-stuffing campaign, right? So, so over the next couple hours, we were stuffing envelopes for his his political campaign. So I worked uh, many hours and got involved in politics. Um, but, you know, then I got married, had a family, and, you know, sometimes you have to step back on that. Right. Uh, but but I was uh, at Granite City with an alumni event because I'm active in the alumni community. There was a joint uh, Mike Illich School of Business and Law School event uh, in November of last year at Granite City. So I was talking with folks. We were upset about, you know, kind of what uh, the negative publicity that was going on with Wayne State. And I was talking about the issues, and a lot of folks said, you know what, you're so passionate about it, you know, why don't you make a change? So, so that's what I did. So I have some political background. Uh, I was retiring from the reserve, so I had some extra time. So I thought, you know what, it's time for me to serve and move from, you know, serving my nation and defending the country to uh, trying to get a seat on the Wayne State Board and help defend, you know, the Michigan taxpayers as well as, you know, the residents of, uh, uh, I guess, Detroit, you know, in order for them to get a good, effective um, education at a reasonable price, because tuition prices, I feel, just got out of control. So you know, that's one of the stands I'm taking, uh, you know, if and when I get elected to the Board of Governors. You mentioned uh, trouble at Wayne State. Uh, it's really kind of fascinating to me. I mean, you've got a board there now that I believe is seven Democrats and only one Republican, and yet there apparently are two factions, each with four members, and they're at war with each other. And a lot of it involves the feelings about the president of Wayne State and whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. And one faction says he's got to go, and the other one is backing him a thousand percent. So do you have any dog in that fight? Uh, What's going on and what else at Wayne State beside, you know, keeping tuition down are you really concerned about? 
Well, that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, I talked about uh, being at Granite City addressing the issues. So when I was passionate talking about the issues, I was, um, I, I guess, regurgitating or speaking to the narrative that I received from reading all the press. And it was really um, one-sided by Wayne State was pushing it all through. Um, and, you know, when you, you, you characterize warring factions, I guess, or I, I think there's, you know, two principles, two sides to, to, to the board right now, right? Folks that, uh, you know, really and want to have a desire to protect the students and be fiscally responsible for the money that the taxpayers provide, as well as protect the individuals uh, and the low-income families in the Detroit proper, right? And most of that, uh, this infighting came about. Um, with, uh, you know, President Wilson trying to dig out uh, Wayne State University Physicians Group, who was bankrupt, right? And he had some outside consultants come in. So he was, uh, uh, you know, trying to fix and right the ship. And in the outcome of that, there were several different issues that came through and uh, kind of, I guess, split the, the, the vote on there about was this the right thing? Was it the wrong thing, right? Several people don't feel we should give away the School of Medicine, right? In fact, we weren't giving it away. We were paying Henry Ford to take it, right? Right. Uh, and then, and then some of the um, the sidebar issues about a possible building that was paid for ten million dollars over value, and then the University of uh, Pediatricians group left, right? And uh, and now they're suing Wayne State, right? So there's a lawsuit out there uh, that the University of uh, Pediatricians actually left and signed an agreement with Central Michigan University. But the lawsuit, as you can read it up in the paper, is for, what, $61 million. So, you know, my concern is uh, something doesn't smell right. Uh, after I started peeling back the onion and started looking at it, you know, because I was a real supporter of President Wilson and all the things he was doing, and I'm thinking some of the things don't look right. And uh, being a, a, a savvy colonel in the Army, right, I've been in, and done several investigations and seen things that are going on. And I know when something doesn't smell right, you dig dig into it and find it, and you usually find another narrative that's going on, right? And right. so that's kind of what, what, what I see with, uh, what's going on there. Well, there's a little confusion about who's running for the Wayne State Board this year. I mean, in fact, you've ended up with a running mate, Terry Lynn Land, a former Secretary of State, uh, who was not the other person beside you nominated by the Republicans at their convention. Um, but... She had to jump in and take the place of Diane Donaskis, who was knocked off the ballot by the Secretary of State because she apparently hadn't uh, paid overdue campaign finance uh, report uh, from 2018 when she ran uh, two years ago. And meanwhile, uh, the Republicans are challenging one of the Democrats uh, who's running. Uh, I think her name is. Shirley Stancato, or Stancato at least is her last name, saying if Diane Donaskis is knocked off the ballot, Stancato ought to be knocked off too. But the Secretary of State so far has said, no, she doesn't have to be knocked off. So how do you look at all that? Yeah, so, you know, I was uh, I was happy to run with Diane. Uh, Diane gave me some mentorship uh, when I was seeking uh, about running for it. You know, I contacted her, talked with her. She gave me some guidance. So I thought it was really great that I could run with Diane. She had, you know, three great tours on the board. Uh, but, yeah, she had uh, um, an issue with a fine that wasn't paid. And if you read the affidavit that she signed, you know, she it clearly states, quote, at this date, all statements 
reports, late filing fees, and fines from me or any other candidate committee organized by me under the Michigan Finance Act, Finance Act have been filed or paid. So, uh, you know, that's the affidavit she signed that, uh, uh, yeah. you know, you know, their state pulled her off. Yeah, well, it sounds like the right decision was made, but uh, again, it's the top two finishers who get elected to the board. You don't even have to win. You could finish second. You could be a member. Well, so I- absolutely, but Shirley Sincato has to be removed and disqualified. There's a lawsuit. Uh, Lady Justice is blind to political parties, you know, so we need, uh, you know, the e- even-handed administration of justice. Yes, I agree. Listen, we're out of time. I wish we could go. Don Gates, candidate for Wayne State University, November 3rd. Thank you, Don Gates. Thank you. No tuition ever. I will never raise and vote to raise tuition at Wayne State. Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay. We'll be back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned with Tammy Carlone, and she is one of two Republican nominees for the State Board of Education this year, November 3rd general election. Tammy Carlone, if that name is familiar, she was on the ballot two years ago. She came pretty close to winning, but it was a bad year for the Republicans two years ago, and she's hoping it'll be better this year. Welcome, Tammy Carlone, to the Political Insider. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Let me ask you, uh, what do you do now uh, to get elected? Uh, have you learned from your experience two years ago that was maybe a trial run, and you're thinking, boy, <laughs> there are some things now I'm going to do differently and better than I did two years ago that are going to help? What do you think? Well, uh, absolutely. You know, I got some experience under my belt and uh, won the entire state on Election Day two years ago. 82 counties reporting was the winner by far. So I did a lot right. But uh, the next day, Wayne County's numbers came in and I got bumped out. Wow. So Wayne County needs a little more attention from Tammy this time around. <laughs> <laughs> where Where do you live? Are you living in, in Wayne County or not? Well, it's interesting. I live in Novi, which is Oakland County, and my school district, Northville, is in Wayne County. Okay. And you're a CPA, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a CPA, and I have a, a corporate CPA, and I found a niche that uh, really suits me. It's a process improvement expert. Um, I fell into that quite some time ago. Companies have me come in and help make them better, and I, I like to help them save a lot of money by making them better. So it's a, it's a pleasure to do that for companies. I really enjoy it. Well, how did you get interested in running for the State Board of Education? Obviously, you really care because you've already run once, and now you're running again. Well, uh, I'm I'm not interested personally for myself, but uh, as a servant leader uh, and a person that's been uh, researching and advocating and educating about education for 20 years, uh, I feel like it's time to get a seat at the table on the State Board of Education and to have a vote uh, because some of the things that they're doing are certainly not helping our kids, which you can see by the results. What are the things they're doing that are injurious? to the pupil population in the state? Well, um, there's a lot of things, but there's um, a couple of things that I focus on in my race. And uh, one is the liberal indoctrination of our children, which is a completely inappropriate use of our tax dollars. 
and parents need to be able to trust the schools with our kids. They take care of them six, seven, sometimes more hours a day. And the other thing I'm running on is um, academic excellence. Um, the results in Michigan academically have been going down for quite some time despite the, the money going up. So we need to spend the money better. We need to spend it right and smarter. And we need to get our academic results back to excellence. Michigan has it in us. We used to be there. What about the State Board of Education as an institution, an eight-member board elected statewide, uh, you know, long terms, every two years, uh, seats are up for grabs uh, with the electorate. Is the State Board of Education functioning the way it should as a body running education in the state of Michigan, or should there be a different system? Gosh, I absolutely love that question. I I never get that question. I love that question. The answer is no, it's not operating as it should. If you look at TammyCarlone.com, my campaign website, I talk about that. I talk about um, the lack of accountability in education because there's so many hands in the pot. You know, if you've got legislators, you know, with their hands in the pot with no accountability and you've got the State Board of Education you know, doing some things with no accountability. And, you know, you've got the governor, um, especially this time around, um, you know, with, with, uh, with dictates. You know, these people come and go, and no one ever is ever held accountable. Um, there's, uh, there's some capital improvement monies that uh, went into Detroit uh, for their buildings. I'm walking in a, a Detroit building a couple of years ago, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, where'd the money go? I asked a legislator, uh, you know, could I see where the money went on this? Um, you know, where's the accountability? What happened to the money? It clearly wasn't spent on the building. And uh, I got no answers. Wow. Well, uh, you know, back in in the day, I mean, literally 60 years ago, we were operating under a 1908 constitution. And under that, there was a statewide elected superintendent of public instruction, he was called. And it was always a he um, and then that was abolished by the new constitution that took effect beginning January of 1964, replaced with this state board of education, which turns around and elects, uh, basically the superintendent of public instruction, but he is, in other words, appointed by the board. Uh, Michael Rice, I think is now the superintendent. What do you think about the system now compared to the old system? And is Michael Rice the right kind of superintendent for Michigan right now? Well, if the system was working as it should be and there were accountability, then it would be great. I think it's really important to have an elected board so that people all over the state have a say versus when uh, a state has the governor just in charge and they hire a superintendent. You know, the, the, the people of the state really don't have a say, except they hire the governor um, but, hey, let's say that it's it's not your pick for governor and they take the schools in this direction and you want them going that direction. You know, you really, really don't have a say. So elected board is good, but you got to have the accountability. And the board does hire. That's one of their main responsibilities is to hire the superintendent, which they did two years ago right after I lost. And um, they hired uh, Michael Rice. He would not have been my pick. Um, again, very, very far left. Um not what our schools need. Our schools are already far left. Uh, we need some conservatives in there. We need to balance it out. And we definitely need 
to return um, accountability. No doubt about it. There is none. Well, President Donald Trump gave you a boost yesterday with his call for instruction in American history, return to the good old days where uh, heroes from the past were lauded in the classroom. Uh, What did you think about that? I've been talking about it for 20 years, and what got me started 20 years ago is my two kids were in elementary school, and I was seeing it back then, um, the indoctrination. And I was always in talking to them about uh, academic excellence and truth, and uh, they probably threw a party when my kids graduated because I wasn't in there anymore. But a lot of parents don't go in and they don't do that. And that's 20 years ago. Now it's way worse. So he's hitting it right on target. I'm glad he's talking about it. But we need to do way more. Yeah, you've got change. you've got a running mate, Michelle Frederick. Is that her name? That's right. Yep. And is she pretty much on the same page with you on all these issues? She is on the same page with me. Uh, we've been working together in education advocacy for many years. So the two Democrats this year that are running, are they incumbents? No, no, they're new. So they're basically open seats, really. Yeah, these two seats are, are wide open, and it's up to the voters of Michigan to get in there who they want in there so people get out and vote. Are there Splinter Party candidates as well, because you all run in a pack. All you have to do is finish second. You don't even have to finish first. If you finish second, you'll be elected, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. There's uh, two seats open, two Democrats, two Republicans, but there's also uh, several people from other parties. So I was the big winner on Election Day uh, two years ago out of 11 candidates. And what I noticed in my analysis of the results was a lot of people that do go down and vote for State Board of Ed, some don't. Shame on you guys, please. Education's important. But uh, they pick, a lot of people pick uh, the different uh, the different races in this race in particular. I, I think it's because maybe they don't realize the importance uh, of State Board of Education, which, which isn't a surprise to me. Um, we need to do a better job educating and communicating. You've talked to uh, the two Republican members of the eight-member board, uh, I believe, about a lot of these issues, Tom McMillan and Nikki Snyder. What do they tell you? Tom McMillan and Nikki Snyder are um, like, uh, like-minded in a lot of ways with uh, Michelle and I, but um, they're outnumbered. You know, they're on this board, and they're outnumbered, and so their say, you know, doesn't really get heard. Looking forward, um how how do you think Michael Rice, the superintendent, is likely to uh, interact on a lot of these issues? Do you think he's just basically going to follow the governor's lead, whatever the Governor Whitmer might want, or does he have his own independent mind about a lot of these issues? What do you think? He's got to be well, quick. Yep, he's a he's a grown, strong man, right? Of course, he's got his own views on things, but. His job um, is to serve, um, you know, the students of the state, the people of the state, the citizens. And we, the, we if I'm on the board, you know, we put him there. We hire him um, as a board. And right. um, we can also, you know, take superintendents out um, right. if they're not serving as they should. Well, we got to so, cut it. We got to cut it short. Unfortunately, I asked you that question too close to the finish line. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's all right. But thank you so much. Tammy Carlone, Republican candidate for the State Board of Education, for being our guest. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. We will be back next week with more.